So there is a clamoring in some places around the earth and some of God's people and with prophetic voices are realizing that we've crossed a point, crossed the threshold, if you will. We've crossed into a new time and a new era, both here on earth politically, but also in the kingdom. And there's divergent views and voices about what it is and what's to be expected, right? Maybe too many voices. I'll never forget a, a man of God telling me there's too many prophets in America. He was confused because they kept coming up to him with so many different messages. And we all understand that we get gifts and prophetic gifts, but there's only one true God, and his word is the word that lasts and understands forever. So we want to be those who don't rush too fast into the words of anybody, including my own. I don't think anybody challenges their words more, my words, than I do. Uh, I have to advise and confess you that I stand up here a bit of a broken and wearied man. I've been up most nights, not falling asleep for more than 30 minutes, as my wife will attest praying, crying, weeping. I know there's some who are excited and triumphant that we're entering into a new realm. There are those who are applauding what's going on and echoing the rescue of believers, the rapture, the rescue. My heart is heavy because real people are dying that don't know the Lord. It's one thing to die and know the Lord. It's another to die and not know the Lord. And even as I beat the war drums and try to get into that spirit, I can't get out of the lamentations. I can't get out of weeping between the porch and the altar. So my nights, which typically are broken a lot with prayer, have been praying a lot. I've heard voices crying out, horror voices. I've seen children and women and men hold up. withering away without water or food. I've seen Jews, I've seen Arabs. Children, innocent children, women. Elderly people, broken people. That's the reality of what we're dealing with. It all sounds so wonderful and mega spiritual, but we're talking real people. Families horrified. The only solace we have is to know that God is sovereign. And so we know that even though it's chaos and seemingly out of control, the Lord is not surprised. You know, there are Christians that were killed in Israel. You know that, right? And you know that there are those that are in Gaza who are Christians. They believe in God. There are about 500, as best we know, Messianic young men on the front line ready to enter into Gaza. We'll be presenting you the names of 21 of them that we know, either personally or through our sister church in Israel with Samuel Smajda. I spoke with him last night. And his voice was faltering because he was kissing his daughter goodbye. 
who was headed to Gaza this morning. Our son-in-law reached out and asked for prayer for his brother Micah, special forces, who's probably already in Gaza. He's commando. And as I was praying throughout this week, multiple times my voice cried out, where is the God of Elijah? As we consider that scripture, when Elisha held on to the promise of Elijah and watched the chariots come and divide them and take them up into heaven. We all know how famously Elijah dropped his mantle, which had his anointing, the residue of his anointing, and Elisha picked it up and slapped it on the Jordan and said, where's the God of Elijah? And the anointing divided the waters and Elisha crossed over from one who had been discipling under his spiritual father to one who was now working in the anointing and the operation of his spiritual father. And as I dwelt on that and said, why am I continuing to cry out, where's the God of Elijah? And delved into the scripture more, I realized that when he called upon that anointing, the anointing of Elijah, and he slapped the mantle, it wasn't because the mantle just had supernatural spirit stuff hanging on it. It was because of his faith had gone to another level, another place. And it was no longer him calling upon the God that he had been getting taught about, but he was calling upon the God whom he had experienced and watched the prophet operate in. And as we're crossing over, we know that it's that time of Elijah's spirit that's preparing the way for the coming of the Lord turning the hearts of children to fathers and fathers to children. That's the Spirit is turning hearts so that there's a heart for the Father in heaven, which is echoed here on earth. And so as we cross over, part of our opportunity and our requirement is to challenge our own understanding and relationship with the Father. We get settled in. We get complacent. I taught here about talismans. The things of faith become talismans. They become rituals. We just repeat them because others have repeated them. And we accept them and believe that that's the magic key to opening up our relationship with heaven, not so much because we want the relationship, but we want the things that the keys will give. So we plead blood when there's no requirement. We rush to the words of that we're going to not have to go through dark times and tribulation because we're special. We declare prayers that other people prayed because it worked for them and that was their system and people teach and sell the processes of their systems. It's dawned on me multiple times that I can't think of one time in Scripture that Jesus sold anything. Can somebody name me one? He even gave his life and his blood. Peter finally got it. What I have, I freely give. And he did that in front of a place where a man was 
begging. In a place on the way into the temple where religious people would use him and he would use them and they used each other so that there would be a mitzvah so that when the people that gave him money could go in and, 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 and declare in the temple that they helped somebody on their way in. The same guy for years and he literally sold himself as a beggar because he was in the right place. I'm assuming if he was in the corner of a shop down in Jerusalem, they'd have probably walked right by him, those same people, and not put anything in there. Peter, as he looked into that basin, saw silver and gold coins. He said, silver and gold, I don't have any. <laughs> I'm a poor man. But what I have, I give you. Because it was his of the Lord. That's the bride that God wants prepared. The bride that's not for sale. The bride that's not a prostitute with a religious name. The bride that doesn't take the new covenant kingdom like the old covenant temple to do business. I don't hear anybody preaching that word right now. If they're there, I don't know who they are. They're certainly not on Christian television. I don't see books coming out like that. I see the bestsellers just itching our ears for all kind of prophecy and supernatural. And many float to it and they get the next best one and they send it to and fro to each other and it has its moment. And most of the writers are compelled because of publishing agreements and their own desire to continue to promote their brand to come out with another one within a year. Some are speeding it up and it's six months now. And people run to it because that's the person that has all the knowledge. Beloved, there's no person on earth today that has all the knowledge. There's not one person living today that knows exactly how the Lord is coming back. Not a one. Put that in your pipe and smoke it when you begin to hear all these prophetic messages about the times and how it's going to happen. There's not one. You know why I know there's not one? Because even Jesus said only the Father knows. But yet we're better than Jesus. And we're going to follow these things and take them as gospel. Gospel according to who? According to somebody's bank account. And there's other people that are well-intended and they're just misguided. It all comes down to the fear of the Lord. Two major points. The fear of the Lord and God is sovereign. If we stick to those, we'll make it. Fear God. Weigh everything we say and do in the fear of the Lord not daring to put our fingerprints on the things of God that God hasn't told us to put our fingerprints on. And understanding that no matter what anybody says, no matter what's going on, He's sovereign. He is the mega sovereign of all time, creation, everything that breathes. There's no prophet or rabbi or pastor or priest or apostle or anybody that can bring his sovereignty in clarity in the fullness of his clarity. If so, then we would be no different than the people in Babylon that wanted to build the tower to touch God. And in the secular side, we're already headed there. AI has taken it to another place, but do you know that there is a function a group determined to have AI with the mind of God. You know that, don't you? First of all, how ignorant to believe that anyone can determine the mind of God. Anything. But it just shows you that same compulsion that was in Babylon to build the tower. And how did God respond to it? He sent confusion and babble. I'm expecting confusion in Babel. 
And it'll come with consequences, won't it? Always does. We're still suffering the consequences of the Tower of Babylon in so many languages. Used to be you could learn one or two and just about get around the world. Doesn't work anymore. So, where is the God of Elijah? Where is he in this as we cross a threshold? Knowing that there's some more thresholds coming. And that most likely those thresholds take us from a light into a darker darkness, not from a darkness into a light. Not as a people. But in our faith, light, light, light. But in the world, dark, dark, dark. Hard to think that you could wake up on a Saturday morning and see something more horrifying than what we saw last Saturday. Only eight days ago, it almost seems for some people like it was a year already. The world's already indifferent. Already judging the Israelis as the ones who deserved it. Already denying it like the Holocaust, that there really weren't babies who were burned and their heads cut off. Already denying that women weren't raped and old people taken over and people shot. Literally. Literally. A son shot while they held up the, his own phone to show them. It's already being denied. It's already just like it was with the Holocaust, just like it was before that, just like it was with the Crusaders that went with the, with, with the crosses on their shirts to liberate Jerusalem from the Jews, to kill them. The deeds that we've experienced, some of us have viewed, some of them are too horrific to dwell on, aren't they? They're so unsettling. And in today's multimedia now, we see their family members coming and pleading to an empty camera because they don't know what else to do. The death toll kept creeping up, and it still creeps up, and now it's added to that people in Gaza. Hostage situation is, we're not sure, 120 115, 150. And we don't know how many of those are still alive. But we know the faces of their families because we see them and they're pleading with humanity for somebody to do something, to bring them back home. When you hear one father say he's relieved because his daughter's dead and not a hostage. How sad. What a sad choice to take. But I thought about that myself and I'd probably have to agree with that after seeing how they treated women, raping them in the fields before they even put them in cars to take them away, gang raping them. I'm going to say it harsh so you understand the animals of that spirit and then I'm going to expose it to you in open public, like animals, worse than animals. Gleeful, videoing it, recording it, like champions. More details keep emerging, but Laura Lee touched on it, there's biblical parallels. We saw the count was 250 or more of young people gathered at a desert music festival just over the border. That wasn't wise in the first place, was it? But it had nothing to do with wisdom. They called it a supernova festival, supernatural. How many times have I said to you, be careful about labeling God as supernatural because supernatural is, is anything that's mystical that moves in the spirit realm, and the spirit realm's not all about God. And so they already bought into a, a spirit realm, a supernatural experience is peace, 
Peace, peace, then comes destruction. Peace, they were going there for peace, to have a good time. And they, they partied through the day and through the night, and then at sunrise came destruction while they were dancing in front of a Buddha whose name is the God of destruction. In the wilderness, in the wilderness of Judea and Samaria. Do you think it got God's attention? Or is this just a coincidence? Do you think it's like the people that fell with Corin who rebelled against Moses and the people of God and some innocent ones got swallowed up in the earth and God sent a plague because they began to mumble and, 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 and accuse Moses of being the one who caused the earth to swallow up Koran like Moses could open up the earth. God, it says, became indignant. And that word in the Hebrew means he was frothing mad like a rabid dog would see. That's what you see, just froth coming out of his mouth. That's how angry God got. So he told him, I'm sending a plague. I'm going to kill them all. Moses pled with God and told Aaron, run to, the, run to inside, get, in the holy, get your incense, get it anointed, run into the people so that the Lord has to honor the incense. Give him a sacrifice of incense that maybe he, he will calm down. <laughs> Moses trying to calm God down and the priests got between the plague and the people and almost 15,000 of them died before it stopped in the incense and Aaron became the wall. Get between the porch and the altar and weep, my priests. Weep. Oh, I like war in the sense of warring against the spirits, but beloved, there's a time for war and there's a time for weeping. We're not the ones going to war in Gaza. We're the ones here weeping. We're weeping for what is and what's to come. We're the priests between the porch and the altar. That's our first call right now. Yes, we can get excited and hear it all. And I'm not saying that war rooms aren't open. But that's not where the priest is. The priest is between the porch and the altar. For now. For now. I almost wish I could get released to the war room. I'd rather have a good fight than cry. We understand that we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And those principalities and powers and spirits have been working on these same people and through these same people for 3,000 years. We have to be honest with the outcome and the results. They're not coincidences. And let me lay it very clear. I am not presenting an indictment against Israel or the Jews. I consider myself one. My cry out to the Lord was allow me to help save my people. But I have to be sincere and honest and I shared with some of you and many others that have called and asked me that it's a time for a repentance but I wish that I could be the Yeshua, the Hosea, the Savior, the Goel for, for my people, for anybody, but I can't, nor can you. We can repent all day long for the idolatry of Israel, but Israel needs to repent for its idolatry and its priests need to hear. So I encouraged you to pray that way. There would be an awakening in the rabbis and the priests, both in Israel and around the world. A sensitivity a call back to the fear of the Lord and then understanding the sovereignty of God. And to repent as many of us I had for the sins of the generations past and breaking generational curses. 
praying for the sins of the present. I wish that I could just wave my supernatural right hand and, and absolve people of sins, but they have to repent themselves for their sins. I could only encourage them to and present the Word of God and rely on the Holy Spirit to move, and that's where we're at right now, it's presenting the Word of God. Sort of reminds me of something that was said once by a, an officer back in the Civil War. He was one of the black coats, and when my, we left my son off at Annapolis at 17 years old, I wrote a little something and put it in his pocket. And I said, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. He still has it. And so we understand there are those that are called to do that, and they are doing that, and so where is the God of Elijah? Where are we at right now? Well, we knew that we were crossing a threshold. We just didn't understand what it was yet. We knew it was spoken right from here that it wasn't just for us, it was for the world. We knew that it was going to have big implications, but we didn't understand how, what, or where. And now we have, and we also know now that we'll be crossing more of them, but that we're supposed to right now embrace this one and to do what we're called to do to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and that this will continue to unfold to us and we may not know exactly what we're supposed to be doing a year from now, but we need to do what we can do with the understanding that we have in the present time. So we need to have the timeless mindset, but we need to be active in time because this is who we are. We're flesh and blood with a spirit. And so we're equipped very special. We have a mindset that isn't set on the things of the earth, but yet a mindset that impacts all the things of the earth. And we're indwelling with a spirit that knows how it ought to pray for us, but how also we ought to pray for others. And we tap into the, to the, to the, the mind of God, the spirit of God. And he tells us, just what we need to know, if we will, about what's in our future, but not so much that we think we have control of our future, because we don't. And that's a dangerous place to be in the body of Christ. Bring up 2 Kings 8.12, please. I'm going to go through some scriptures very quickly. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 12. Strap on your spirits with me a moment and, 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 and stay as focused as you can because we're going to cover a lot very quickly. And if you want to write them down, that's fine, or you can look at it later. 2 Kings 8, 12, and Hazel said, Why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their, their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. Do you know what people he was speaking to? The Philistines. The modern-day name for the Philistines is the Palestinians. That same spirit's alive and doing the same thing it's done for a long time. Next scripture. Amos chapter 1, verse 2. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Go to verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them to Edom. The same Spirit is doing the same things today in the same places now that Gaza was a bigger Gaza than this Gaza but it was still Gaza 
The word Gaza means strong, and it also means goat. Strong and goat. Interesting, as I thought about it. It's primarily a nomadic area was supposed to be. It is. It had great prosperity because of the trade there with its open area and ships that could go to and from. So it had, for a long time, the Philistines had wealth. They were about 200 years advanced from the Israelis in their weaponsry. They were using iron before anybody else was. So they were able to overcome and overpower faster. It was the chief center of commercial traffic with Egypt. And you can look it up yourself according to Genesis 10:19 and Joshua 15:47. It's one of the oldest cities that we know of in the world. Hmm. Where'd that spirit come from? This is the place where Samson was. This was the place where Samson martyred himself to destroy the government of the Philistines at that point and pull down their columns. All the prophets have denounced the judgments of God against it. Jeremiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Acts. You get tired looking about it all. It's a desert area. And these children that were dancing in front of the Buddhist god of destruction, bringing in the daytime on one of the highest holy days of Israel. Think about it. Where are the fathers? Where's the fathers who need to turn the hearts of the children to God? It's because their hearts weren't to God. And I weep when I hear them say, my my child was just there having fun. Where were the fathers? Where was the God of Israel? The God of Israel wasn't presented to the children. Just like in this country, when we expelled God out of our schools and out of our children, and then we cry out, where's the God of Elijah while they're being massacred? And while they're being told to worship and understand and accept other gods that are doing exactly what is happening to them, stealing their souls, stealing their lives, bringing horror into their families, stealing their inheritance, being taught. This was also the place where the god Dagon was. When they stole the ark, they brought that ark into their place, and God wasn't happy in that place of the wilderness where His holiness was being defiled, just like a week ago, eight-day Saturday, on the holy day, Simcha Torah. The day that you celebrate the Word of God, and you celebrate that we're starting now a new cycle of blessings with God. Where were the parents? Where were the fathers? And then the poor people in the kibbutzim. (laughs) The irony of it all, one of the ladies they took moved there from the United States because she's a peacenik. And she was an activist. Maybe she's alive, maybe she's not. For the Palestinians. They took her too. Because that beast is bloodthirsty. It's been bloodthirsty for 3,000 years. And that spirit was unleashed in that desert through a God of destruction. And the gates were opened literally, come on church, literally to let the foul terrorists pour through to rape, pillage, murder, kill, chop up children just like the to take them captive. That's what's happened. We need to open our ears and our eyes. And you heard me preach last Sunday, yes, we need to be Christians who aren't putty Christians. 
You can't pray, turn, turn your face on that evil. You have to annihilate that evil. But unfortunately, I have to say to you that no matter how much the forces of Israel and the might of their army or whatever, they are not going to chop off the head of that spirit. Only Christ is. They might chase it. It might relocate. It's done many times, as I'm going to show you. But it won't die until Christ kills it. And they won't overpower it until they are serving the king. That's a fact. So we can beat the drums of war and pray for Israel to level Gaza and to destroy Hamas, but Hamas will just take another name in another place if it needs to. As it is done for 3,000 years. Church needs to open its eyes and ears and understand that we can't be putty Christians. That's all nice and wishy and wonderful and you know, it sounds great. But we need to understand what we're dealing with and what God's dealing with. And we need to understand that we can do spiritual warfare, but we cannot repent for the idolatry of Israel and the Jews. We can intercede. We can weep between the porch and the altar. We can do all the things God has called us to do, but I can't repent for you and you can't repent for me. It's all about relationship, personal relationship. It's about covenants, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Oftentimes you see the Philistines and the Edomites mixed together. Edom comes from the lineage of Esau. Remember, he sold his birthright to Jacob. For what? A bowl of soup. That'd be a good bowl of soup. And right away, the, the Edomites have always been violent against Judah. That spirit that made God said, I hate Esau, is because he hated that spirit. Edom is scripturally portrayed as the ultimate enemy of, of Yahweh, of God. One of the things that Edomite spirit does is it loots, which we saw in Scripture. One of the things God was mad with them about was because they, he took, Edomites took his people captive in Jerusalem and deported them to Babylon. They moved God's people to be slaved, raped, killed, that spirit's still alive there. The Philistines have historically been a, a very terroristic and warm-wonging people. We call them terrors, terrorists today. And they have occupied historically that territory southwest of Israel between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And the modern name for Philistia is Palestinia, and it gives the modern name Palestine. And the first time they're recorded of is Genesis 10. That's how far back they go. The next time they're mentioned is in Exodus. <laughs> God releases his people after 430 years there. But he said, I'm not going to let them go through the Philistine country, even though that was the shorter way, remember? Because he said if they face war, the Israelites might change their minds and go back to Egypt because they haven't been trained and conditioned to be a people of war after 430 years. There's only one spirit that you negotiate with the Philistines. That's war. There's nothing else. 3,000 years of it. God himself said nothing else works. Now I know I'm going to get a lot of criticism for it. I'm not here saying that my heart doesn't bleed for innocent people. But you know, when we had to liberate most of Europe and then found the scathing, horrific experience of the Holocaust, there was a lot of Germany that needed to be bombed 
There was a lot of civilians that got killed because they happened to be one way or another obliging a Nazi government, a terrorist government. We understand their charter only has one thing, kill the Jews, destroy Israel, and by the way, don't forget the great white Satan. Same charter for the Hezbollah in Lebanon. Same charter for Iran. It's not in North Korea's charter, but that's their goal. When you make a covenant, a political covenant, against the God of Israel, you own that covenant. I point to Haiti, not too far off of our hemisphere. Look at it. Been there many times. They made a pact so that they could have their liberation under French rule. Literally proud that they made a pact with Satan. And their religion is voodooism. And if you've ever seen that country, you've ever flown over from, and you've seen that same island, Santa Domingo and Haiti, they share the same island. You can see right where the border is. It's all green and lush looking in San Domingo. It's completely barren. You can fish on the shores of Haiti and not catch anything. You can fish on the shores of San Domingo and get some of the best fish in the Caribbean. People own the covenants they make. That's why we have to be so careful in this country about our leaders making covenants for us now. Before this state, you're being asked to vote. What's your covenant about life of the unborn? And there's these glamorous, well-paid-for commercials coming on with this girl and her husband, young one, and she's saying, I had to go out of town to, to get an abortion or else it would have killed me, and if I would have been in Ohio, I would have died. Don't let it happen. Vote yes. Where's the God of Elijah? You need to go vote. You need to go vote no. It's going to take the God of Elijah to overturn that vote because right now the polls aren't looking too good and the money that's been pouring in here, God knows from where. Not money raised in Ohio. Money that's been pouring in here is to promote with great marketing schemes for people to vote yes. Oh, if, if you don't vote yes, then even with rape or incest or a mother's life, they're going to be killed. That's not true. Those are lies. Where's the God of Elijah? Where's the Buddhist God of Ohio? Where's the Buddhist God of this country? Comes up with words, right? You know, like Mikhail has so pointedly written and pointed out how they just couch yoga and all those things to entice people into it. And before they know it, they're worshiping other gods and don't even know they are. They're using words they don't understand that open up gates, demonic gates. And we have that promotion going on in this country with many things, many things. People can't help the way they're born. They, they feel different. They, God made a mistake or somebody did. They were supposed to be a woman, but they're a man. Or they're, hey, you are what you're born. And parents need to not coddle that, and teachers need to not teach that. They need to say, you are who you are. That's your identity. You're not Roberta, you're Bobby. But that's not what's happening, because God said that we, our job is to turn the hearts of the children of the fathers and the fathers to the children. What's lacking is fatherhood, and because fatherhood is lack, motherhood has been defiled. To the point the family core is whatever you want it to be. Where's the God of Elijah? Who is the God of Elijah for us? God bless those parents that have gone into 
board meetings and school meetings and said, we're going to get rid of you. Quit teaching this crap in our schools. They've been arrested. They've been thrown out. They've had laws made against them. But we need to be those who are that active for our families. The whole thing that God said about the Elijah spirit is nuclear family. Turning the hearts of the children of the fathers, the fathers of the children, and embracing the father. And without that happening, we're lost. We're worshiping all kind of other things. Either by our acts of commission or our complacency of omission. This, this is what God's leaders need to be preaching. They need to preach it till they can't preach it anymore. They gotta stop preaching about prosperity. They gotta stop bragging about how God has blessed them because they know God. Hey, am I angry? Yes, I'm angry. But I know I have a godly angry. And I know it's about time, and it's gonna be a while where the indignation of God is gonna froth up. And he's going to judge the house of God first. And I have to bite my lip from saying, Lord, bring it on. Because I fear him and I'm afraid there might be something in here that needs to be judged. Thank him for his mercy and his grace. But the sin of the believer is colliding with the dam of his mercy. And someday that dam's going to break. Where's the God of Elijah? Who is the God of Elijah to you and me? Is he the one we knew before we crossed the threshold? Or is he the one now that we know more when we've been slapped with the anointing? What will we tolerate? What won't we tolerate? I told you the Philistines were known for their innovative use of iron and weapons. <laughs> During Saul's time, he had a contract with the Philistines to make armaments and to sharpen their weapons, their tools because they were more advanced. For nearly 200 years, the Philistines harassed and oppressed the Israelites, often invading their territory, stealing their stuff and their people. They just couldn't deal with their overwhelming military might until and when Samuel and David, under the guidance of God, were finally able to defeat them. That's when there was the turning point. That's when the star of David was raised up as a standard barrier of victory over the Philistines. Finally, in time, the Philistines were assimilated into the Canaanite culture. They sort of disappeared from biblical record. Isaiah Chapter 9, verse 12, cries out, The Syrians on the east and the Philistine on the west devour Israel with open mouth. He was being prophetic. Hezbollah, Lebanon, Syria with the Iranians, the Philistines on the other side, devouring. The consensus I'm getting from the homeland in Israel is that it's most probable they're going to be fighting a regional war shortly. Because Iran is promoting it. See, they don't care from Iran how many Lebanese get killed, how many Palestinians get killed. Certainly they want all the Jews killed. They don't even care what happens in Egypt. They don't care what happens. Syria's been torn up. They're just sending money and armaments in to destroy the Jews and 
They figure most likely if we could stretch them a little bit, maybe we won't get them this time, but we sure will put the fear of Allah in them. And so, yes, our country's done something. We've sent a couple naval groups there. I don't know what we'll do if and when Hezbollah begins to unleash, but right now in Israel, they're expecting it. They're expecting a regional war. Fought on at least two fronts. And you've got to remember something. You have Gaza down here on the south, across, right in the middle. You have the West Bank. It's the west side of Israel. That's where the PLO is. And then you have down below Hezbollah and the Golan. So it's not even on all sides. It's like within two. It's like within two. Jeremiah mourned in Lamentations. Let's go first to chapter 1, verse 18, and then I want to give you a couple more before I move on to having to close this up. I have too much. I wish I could give it all to you. Jeremiah 1, verse 18. I'm sorry, Lamentations 1, 18. The Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against His commandment. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. Chapter 5, verse 11. They ravished the women in Zion. The other interpretation for ravished is raped. The maidens in the cities of Judah. That area is Judea and Samaria. Keep going. Princes were hung up by their hands and elders were not respected. Next. Young men ground at the millstones, boys staggered under loads of wood. Next. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate and the young men from their music. Next. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. We also have the Ammonites. Most of you have heard about that. The capital of Jordan is Ammon. Their descendants, the Ammonites, that go also all the way back. Do you know that there was a civil war in Jordan in 1969 to 71? It was between the Palestinians and the king Hussein of Jordan. The Palestinians were trying to dethrone him and take his land. You see, everywhere they go, there's always a war of them trying to take the land. Been that way forever. King Hussein fought and he called them Fedayim, which means that they're terrorists. It's another word for terrorists. People willing to do anything for their military might. And finally, on a one given day, on a Black Monday, he encircled them and basically desecrated and slaughtered them. Thousands and thousands of them. And then he threw them out. And they went to Lebanon. <laughs> Look at Lebanon today. And from Lebanon, then after the war, they went into Gaza. And while they were there in Jordan, they began to strike Israel with their terroristic things, and they've never stopped. When Saddam Hussein captured Kuwait City, and all of Kuwait, he already had money printed. It was called the Palestinian currency. And he declared Kuwait City was now their city and their capital because he wanted to appease the Arab world, and I don't think he really cared about their plight, because they're always looking for a place to put them where they won't bother Arabs, and most of the Arab world at that time wasn't thinking too highly of the Kuwaitis. And when we liberated it, by the grace of God, somehow he always does that stuff with me, I was literally 
the first citizen in that wasn't military in Kuwait City. It was actually in the Wall Street Journal. Because God, through a series of things, connected me with the director of the FAA. The Lord told me to get in there. And he sent me in to go check on his house and his sons who had become freedom fighters. So I got on that first plane in with the Kuwaitis. I took a doctor, a PLO doctor. He was scared. I found him on a street and we weren't allowed to walk him because they, they still hadn't demined him. He was crying to me, they're going to kill me. I said, who's going to kill you? He says, the Kuwaitis. They're killing the Palestinians because when we took over the city, we didn't help them. I said, why are you here? He said, I came as a doctor. I said, come with me. He spent better than a week with me. And I was out in the desert. Oil fields were still burning. There was four or five hundred of them. It was a very eerie sight. And we had gas masks. I brought a gas mask. Myself and Brother Gary Ross went. I took them with me. So we didn't have any problems with what was burning out in the desert. Came to the time I was supposed to leave and I felt sorry for the doctor, so I gave him my gas mask. Lo and behold, I found myself out there the next day. And I can tell you there was gas released in that desert. Our government doesn't admit it. By the time I got home, I had a goiter growing on the side of my face that was this big. All of my salivary glands had become stopped up and my whole system was whacked out and was for about two years. Every night I'd drench sweat for eight hours and sweat the bed completely. But there was a reason he had me there, and that's between me and him. It was all spiritual. But even then, with the gift given to him, the Philistines couldn't control themselves because of their bloodthirsty spirit. And it's the God of the Ammonites and the God of the Philistines and the God of the Moabites. They're all interlinked. They all go back to, to unfortunately the son of Noah, who wasn't very good, and the nephew of Abraham, Lot, who also wasn't very good. The spirit goes way back. Way back. So, I don't have time to get into this anymore this week. What I do hope that the Lord will allow me to share with you is where does Israel stand in all of this? This is the quandary. Between, in the church, I'm writing on this board if you could move it over. It's the New Covenant and what we call Old Covenant, although there were multiple ones, at least five. So more so the Law and the Mosaic Covenant. This is going to take some time, but I just want to give you a glimpse of it, because I think this will help to get the train back on the track with teaching in the body of Christ about the two covenants. What we're told of in Hebrews is that this new covenant vanquished the old covenant, and that's true, but also then we're told that multiple times in scriptures that in order to be in the new covenant, it's not just being in a community. The New Covenant community is washed in the blood of Jesus and has accepted Him in faith, right? But you could have someone living in your home, even a family member, who's in the community, but they're not a member. So what's happened here in the body of Christ is that we've totally annulled the old covenants. Paul tried to deal with it. 
He tried to teach that the promises to, the, to Israel and the Jews are forever. And that the God of Israel is still the God of Israel. And that Jesus still came as a Jew and he'll be coming back. But he was trying to balance what later became even more difficult with replacement theology that everything in the New Covenant has erased all the promises to the Jews and the Jews are outside the New Covenant so they're just damned. But if that's so, then all the promises of the prophets are gone. And next week, if the Lord will allow us building on this foundation because I believe we need to have a full understanding both spiritual, physical, political, and all of it. Building upon that, we understand that the prophets and the law all have conditions and promises for the people of God. We also understand that Paul was trying to explain that he's the same God and all the promises are the same, but, but if you're not a Jew, they say a Gentile, but that's the word better is a heathen. You didn't believe in God. It has nothing to do with color or race. Then you're outside that, but you're grafted in through the promises of God. And how much better when the Jews become grafted back in again. And, and what is that tree that he's talking about? We know that God's coming back for a bride, and we understand that that's the bride that's washed in the blood and and, and without spot or wrinkle, and we know that to be that bride, you have to be in Christ because He's the groom. Very clear teachings about that. But we also know that God cried out, both through Hosea and Jeremiah, and, and, and He cried out and He said, I, I've given my people a writ of divorcement because they have chased adulterous uh, gods, like in the desert on Holy Day a week ago, Saturday. He said, but they're going to be my people again, and we're going to get married again. Interesting. What I want to bring to enlightenment for us, for you, and to present to the body of Christ is that while Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and the law, he said not to destroy it. Because if he had destroyed it, the Jews would be wiped out of the promises of God. He was very careful to say, I'm not destroying that, because he would have destroyed their people. But yet we have teachings in the church that destroy God's people. Everybody that knows God and they're within the community of the New Covenant, they're going away and the Jews and the non-believers are going to be here to go through hell. So I want to show you so you can come to your own conclusions and start weighing words yourself why that's an anti-Semitic teaching. Oh, but we love Israel, but you don't love Israel enough to what? Jesus didn't love them enough to weep over Jerusalem? I want to share that with you. I, hope, I think it'll begin to answer some things so you understand a little better who we are, the time we live in, and what's expected of us, and potentially what we're going to see. Oh, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty at all. We're waking up to horror stories like we just did last Saturday. Hmm. God forbid it comes to our country. So we have a lot of questions to answer. Are there still conditions of the old covenant alive today? Can you be a reprobate in a community in the new covenant and still be saved? Where does grace take over and judgment begin? Questions we need to deal with, isn't it? I want to try to help us do that because I am dealing with them. And I've been dealing with them a long time, trying to balance that out, trying to understand the God of love and the God of judgment. And how are we supposed to act in love, understanding there's judgment? 
as I do often, I came in here myself this morning and music was on. Worship music. I left it dark. I said, Lord, I'm weary. I'm weary, Father. He said, son, I love you. I said, thank you. I love you too, Father. He said, tell my people today how much I love them. And then tell them this. For them to love, like I call them to love, they need my love, his love. It was profound. It sat me down in a chair. I said, wow, Lord, teach me your love. I need it. his word to us this morning. If you want to love, you need my love to love like I love. How dare we say, Lord, teach us to love like you. But we must. But we must. So next week, if the Lord allows, I'd like to continue on in this. It's still linked to crossing the threshold. It's just that now that we're there, <laughs> what do we see? What do we know? And I'm sure many of you have read your Bibles from one end to the other, and you've heard the Ammonites, the Malachites, the, you know, the Edomites, the, <laughs> the all kind of ites. And it's... Where does one go and the other one left off? Which ones are good? Which ones are bad? You know, why did David run to the Philistines for help? And why was Saul using them for military might and yet they were killing? It'll help us put things in perspective for now. But also the covenants. We need to understand the covenants, both with the church and with the Jews today. This I'll finally end on. There's a merging point going like this. The Israels and the Jews and the believers in the church. Jesus is coming back one more time for his bride. And it's not a bastard bride. It doesn't leave out the Jews and the bride doesn't leave out the believers. One bride, one faith, one people, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. And anything that teaches other than that defiles the God of Israel. Okay.